Welcome to a brand new episode of Dolly Fan TV with Andy Crust. Check us out on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter for all things Dolly. Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. And now, here's your host. Hi everyone, yes, it's me again, Andy Cross, for the season finale of Dolly Fan TV. But don't worry, we will be back for season two very, very shortly. It's Valentine's weekend, and what I want to know is, have you received your sample of Dolly's latest fragrance? I see a few of you on social media saying it smells so good. But it is July that you'll have to wait to get the full-size bottle. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So this week, ladies and gentlemen, I travelled virtually across the pond to New York City, where I had a really great conversation with Lauren Marino. Now, most of you know Lauren because she wrote the brilliant book, What Would Dolly Do? But she's not only that, she's a writer, editor and a huge Dolly Parton fan. She is the author of Jackie and Cassini, A Fashion Love Affair, and also the author of Bookish Broads, Women Who Wrote Themselves Into History. Now, I was grateful because Lauren took time out of her working day and homeschooling as she lives with her two children in New York City to talk to me this week. And I asked her that ever-burning question that I'd like to ask all the guests. Can she recollect when her first passion for Dolly Parton started? Well, I, you know, I, I spent several years as a child in Cincinnati, which, you know, is right over the river to Kentucky. So it's, even though it's considered the Midwest, it's sort of borderline South. And it's, uh, you know, cu- growing up in Cincinnati, country music was on the radio all the time. Uh, So I grew up with that. And I think I was first attracted to Dolly because I was obsessed with Kenny Rogers. And I think it was through Kenny, like by by loving Kenny Rogers, I sort of came around to Dolly Parton. And I, I loved her music. She has such a distinctive voice. And she, um, you know, I heard that she was playing at the Ohio State Fair up in Columbus, which is like a couple, you know, couple hours drive. And my friends who lived down, my neighbors down the street were going to the Ohio State Fair. And I kind of just jumped in the car with them. You know, I tell my parents this, like they read the book and they said, we don't remember this at all. Like, you just, I mean, they had four kids, so maybe they were really busy and it was different times, but I just, I got in the car with them and I went up to Columbus and I ran over to the big stage where she was going to be playing later. And I just sat there and kind of camped out uh, by myself. And, you know, she just has such an incredible presence, such um, a joyful presence. And the fans... You know, like just to, it was probably one of my first live music experiences too. And I'm a huge, huge live music person. And just to see the energy between the audience and Dolly on the stage and everyone singing along with songs that they knew, it just, it felt, it was like a beautiful bonding experience. And so I just really, yeah. I, I just loved her from from day one. And then we also, we used to, as children, the four of us in the back seat, my parents driving the car, we would go down, we would visit our uh, cousins in Virginia and we would go through Kentucky and Tennessee to get there. And oftentimes we would stay over in Gatlinburg. So I have, I have fond memories of being in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Lovely. Yeah. 
Um, you know, we would stay there for a couple days and we would beg to go to, you know, Ripley's Believe It or Not, <laughs> which my parents would never let us go to. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but we also went to what was called Silver Dollar City back then. And ah, sil- yeah. we would go to Silver Dollar City, which was really fun. It was an, you know, it was an amusement park. And of course, years later, uh, Dolly bought it and it is and has expanded it and created it, you know, and it's a completely different place, but uh, it's now Dollywood. So I was actually there probably as a, I don't know, as a somewhere between 10 and 15 years old. I That's was at Silver Dollar City. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I can go on. She... Um, I mean, that was when I first started to really, uh, you know, like she was always in my consciousness and I loved her music. But then I, you know, I grew up, I moved to New York, I started my career uh, in the book publishing industry and as a writer. And I, you know, I kind of forgot about her for a while. And then I was working on a book by a person, I was ghostwriting the book by a person who called herself Dolly Parton's psychic. And I said, Dolly Parton's psychic? Wow. You know, does she, I mean, does she, it it just seems so strange that Dolly Parton of all people would have a, go to a psychic. So who knows, who knows what the real story is. But I, um, for the first meeting to interview this woman so that I could kind of get an idea of what she was all about, she said, well, meet me at 800 Fifth Avenue, which is a very, very fancy part of town. It's sort of, you know, it's the block where Jackie Kennedy Onassis lived after she left the White House. And it's across the street from Central Park, uh, you know, up on the Upper East Side. And I, she said, we're going to meet at Dolly Parton's apartment. Right. Okay. Parton's apartment. She has an apartment in New York. I had no idea. So I went up there and it was the penthouse. And it it was a panoramic view of the entire Central Park and the west side on the other side of the park. And it was stunning. I mean, just a beautiful apartment with a huge white baby grand piano in the entryway. Everything was totally white. The walls were white. The carpet was white. The piano was white. And there were like 12 by 12 Mark Rothko art pieces all around the perimeter of the wall. It must have been millions of dollars worth of artwork. And so we met there and I said, how is this? This is Dolly Park. Like it's the opposite of what I would expect. Yeah, I would think some some homey look, you know, homey, comfortable place. And this was like a beautiful museum. And she said, "Well, it's Sandy Gallen and Dolly Parton's apartment." So Sandy Gallen was her her manager for many many years. And you know, back in like the nine to five days, he's the one that really had her bust out into the mainstream. And so they had, they, and they were really good friends and, um, and they bought an apartment together. And I, so I think it was a lot of, lot, the decor was probably more Sandy's sensibility, but he brought her to New York and introduced her to all these people like Andy Warhol. And, you know, he really helped build her career. And so she kept this apartment in New York to be here for those times when she, when she needed to. Um, 
So then cut to, you know, another 15 years later past that. And I had gone through a difficult divorce. I had two little children at home. And then I lost my job. I had been a a book editor for 25 years and I was freelancing. I went back to, I was writing books for other people because I had done it that one time with uh, Dolly's Psychic. And I needed, you know, I, I, I didn't have any work lined up. I was super depressed. I was like, how am I going to, do I have to sell my apartment? How am I going to take care of my children? So um, I had two friends from New Orleans who came up to New York to visit and they stayed with me and they said, you know, you need to be cheered up. We're going to come up and visit you. And Kristen Chenoweth was playing, she had an eight night, one woman show on Broadway. And they said, we are going to treat you. I said, I can't really afford to go to Broadway right now. And they said, no, we're going to treat you. We're going to go see Kristen Chenoweth. And I was like, okay, well, you know, I could take it or leave it. So we went and she did this whole monologue about how growing up, there were no female role models for, for who she wanted to be. And that doll, except for Dolly Parton, that Dolly Parton was her role model as an actress, as a songwriter, as a singer, um, as a woman in a tough business. And so she did this whole monologue and I was thinking, wow, I never really thought about Dolly in quite that way. And then she sang Little Sparrow and I just burst into tears. Like I just had this very emotional connection to Dolly's song and to what Kristen had said about it. And it just, it kind of woke something up. It reminded me of that, that, you know, adolescent girl that I was and growing up in Cincinnati who had all of these dreams of moving to New York to become a writer and who was gutsy enough to just sort of jump in the car and go to the Ohio State Fair and go, you know, go wait all day and see Dolly. You know, I was always independent and resilient and it kind of listening to Little Sparrow, which is a heartbreaking beautiful song. Yeah, and it's quite eerie, isn't it? It's quite it's very um, eerie yeah. and haunting. And it, it just reminded me of who I was inside. And it made me feel like I can overcome these hardships. Everyone goes through hard times in their life. And I'm, you know, so it just, it just, it helped me. It really kind of brought me back to life. And then mm. within, I don't know, maybe two months later out of the, like I had this dream and I did not put this in the book because my my publisher said she thought it was too strange. So she took it out. So I said, so I'm going to say it now. (laughs) Yes, exclusive. (laughs) But, But I had this dream that Dolly Parton, I was kind of like, I'm sleeping and Dolly Parton comes into my room and points at me and says, Lauren, pick yourself up get out there and go be the writer that you've always wanted to be. What would Dolly do? Like she basically, like, so this dream came to me where Dolly told me to be, to write, to do what I always wanted to do and to basically stop feeling sorry for myself and pick myself up. And she said, what would Dolly do? So the title, I woke up the next day and I just started writing all these notes on a notepad And then I ordered all of these books about her, Uh, you know, fortunately, you know, with Amazon, you can buy books that have been out of print. So I found her 
autobiography from like 19, I don't know, sometime in the 80s, that like the late 80s, she wrote it. And I bought her Dream More book. I bought, you know, I just bought, I ordered a bunch of books, old yeah. used books. They came to my house and I I just spent days doing nothing but reading them. And I started highlighting them because she's so wise. Absolutely. You know, she has all of these incredible words of wisdom and advice in her books. And I so I just started highlighting it and organizing it into different parts of Dolly's life and her words of wisdom and how she would, um, like sort of life lessons yeah. to help myself. And then I said, you know, this is a book. This is a book. And so I called a friend of mine who's a literary agent who I hadn't talked to in several years. And I said, I have an idea. You might think I'm crazy, but I have this book idea and I want to pitch it to you. And I said, so I've been thinking about this. And, I, you know, I kind of gave him a brief little pitch. And I said, but it's going to be called What Would Dolly Do? And he said, stop right there. You don't need to have to, you don't have to say another word to me. I totally get it. The title alone tells me exactly <laughs> what the book should be. I am a huge Dolly Parton fan. I saw her in, she was at, in, she was in New York the, the um, summer before. And she, he said, I saw her. I love her. I'm a huge fan. I totally get it. He said, can you write a proposal for me? And I went out and I wrote, a, like, I it was almost like I was, you know, you want to talk about divine inspiration. I feel like Dolly Parton was my divine inspiration. She came to me in a dream and all of her words of wisdom were there. And I learned so much about her life that I, I had not known. And it, it was even more inspiring to me because I'm going, oh, boo hoo hoo. You know, I lost my job. Well, okay, go get another job. And then you, you know, you, you, or, or come up with a way to, you know, figure your life out. And then to read about her childhood in Appalachia and have, you know, having um, 12 children in the house, her two parents, her father cannot read or write, they're sharecroppers, there's no electricity. They have, um, their wallpaper is old newspapers on the wall. There are no books in the house. They all have to go in the fields and work in the morning before they go to school where they are bullied for being so poor. I just thought, you know what? Who am I? I will never feel sorry for myself. No, you can't. You? <laughs> <laughs> Here I am in New York and in the, I have a roof over my head. You know, get over yourself, Lauren. So I, so um so she really inspired me and and writing that book and reading about her every day and writing about her every day pulled me out of feeling sorry for myself. It pulled me out of being depressed. And I wrote that proposal and eight publishers bid on it, which is very rare in the business. And, Fantastic. And they gave me an advance that allowed me to spend a year writing that book and support my family. So it was a gift. Absolutely. I feel like Dolly yeah. Parton gave me a gift and I'm so grateful. And it was really also the first time I sat down and I was writing something truly for myself, my interpretation of her life lessons. And, um, it, you know, it was such a pleasure to be able to write a book from my point of view as Absolutely. a 
instead of writing a book for somebody else in, in their point of view. So it, it, it just worked on so many different levels. And I'm just so grateful uh, to her and her example um, and, and, and as a role model, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the book is, is a fantastic book. It's uh, What Would Dolly Do? We let the listeners know how they can get their copy. But I want to know on a personal level, as much as everybody else would like to know, how long from beginning to end does it take to actually write a book, get it published and then get on sale? Well, I, for, you know, the first I, I got the inspiration by reading all of those books about like her own books. And then I just I wrote a book proposal and it only took me I mean, book proposals can take a lot like they could take six months to write Um three months to write. I, I wrote one in three weeks because I, like I said, I was, I was like inspired and I was so obsessed with her. Um, that, that was like all I did. You know, I would just sit there, my children would be at school all day and I would just be home. I was watching old interviews with her. I, I watched all of her movies, you know, it was super fun. Like my children and I um, would sit down and watch Coat of Many Colors on TV and Christmas of Many Colors. And, um, you know, so I just immersed myself in everything about her. The proposal took three weeks. Then my agent sold the manuscript. But during that time, I just kept doing more and more research and, um, you know, like reading more and more books. Any, if there's a book written or published about Dolly Parton. I, I read it. I highlighted it. I put post-it notes on it. I took notes. And then I would, you know, I would go into a lot of different interviews with her over the years, you know, and, and it's so much fun to read the interviews that she did early in her career versus the interviews she does now. Absolutely. So sort of watching the, her, the evolution of her as, a, you know, as a professional, as an artist, um, as a celebrity and, you know, one of my favorite interviews is the Barbara Walters interview she did back, I want to say it was, I think it was 1980. She sat down in her trailer. She was on tour. She's wearing this hot pink tight, um, like jumpsuit. She's got this beautiful pink flower in her hair. She has this Marilyn Monroe hair and, you know, lots of makeup. And, uh, and Barbara uh, Walters interviews her. And in that interview, Dolly says, this is what I'm going to do in my career. Like she's still early on in her career. This is what I'm going to do. And she rattles off this list of things that she intends to do. And looking at it in retrospect, 30 years later, she did every single one of them times 10. You know, so, so, and Barbara Walters walked away from that interview saying, I can't believe I'm saying this because, you know, she's a um, like a sort of hardened uh, New York journalist. But yeah. she said, I saw I felt like out of all the interviews of people I, like people that I've met, that Dolly Parton and I are incredibly similar because we are both women in these tough male centric industries. We've both had to be really tough, but we also are, are driven and we had a dream and we made that dream come true. And to hear like Barbara, you know, Barbara Wawa say, I, I can relate to Dolly Parton. I just think that's so incredible. And you realize like at the core of who Dolly is, is this very, I mean, she's a prodigy for sure, but this very driven, passionate woman 
who had these incredible dreams and, and knew that she could make them come true. So I, I, you know, back to your question. So we, I, you know, I, I did a tons and tons of research. And then when I got the, I had it all kind of organized. I started organizing it into chapters by subject matter. And I guess I got the book deal in, I want to say April of that year. Like I wrote like this, the dream happened in January, like, like honestly the very beginning of the year, um, and I had the proposal written by the beginning of February. The book was sold. Uh, I had a deal in April and then I spent the entire summer, like April, May, June, July, August, really just working on it every day, doing the writing. And then I delivered it to my publisher in September uh, and, you know, I, I know this from being an editor and I, and I also know this from being a writer that a lot of the hard work comes in the revisions. So, uh, so, you know, the editor got back to me with all of her comments and changes and, and because I had not written a book for myself before, I was very shy and insecure about putting my own voice in there, okay. which may seem surprising. Mm. But I also, having having been in this business, I felt like there was, you know, for so long, I felt there was a lot of at stake and that if the book wasn't great or I didn't think, you know, if people, like I could be judged, you know, and that people in my industry would judge me. And I think that's the thing you don't think about with authors or artists of any kind, including songwriters, is that you are putting your, you're being vulnerable and you're putting yourself on the line and you've, you know, and people are going to be judgmental. And so, um, like my editor had to get me to write that introduction where I talk about my personal experience. Um, it was really hard for me to, to write that. And I don't know why I felt like I was revealing something about myself that people didn't would never think or know about me. I mean, of course that's where the good, right. You know, that's where good writing comes. You know, it's, it's only yeah. when you're vulnerable and you put yourself out there uh, that you, um, you know, that the, that the writing becomes something more than just wrote. So, you know, it was probably another three months of revising and rewriting and just punching up the language. And um, I feel like I write in layers where the first layer is all that research. And then the second layer is getting it all organized. The third layer is, I call it writing it out. Like, you know, just trying to get all the thoughts down on paper. And then in the revisions, it's where you punch it up. And you try to make it sing a little bit, you know, try to have more fun with the words themselves and the language and, and make sure that it's readable and fun and has a sense of humor and a little bit more of a voice. Um, so I would, I would say all in all, it took a year from beginning to end from like the idea, which really came in like Dolly's in a dream, like the day after the new year and, and then having that whole year to do it. And where does your inspiration come from writing it? Do you sit in New York and write the book or did you manage to travel around and uh, get inspiration from other places? Um, I went to one of the, and, and I'll, this was the one of the best things I ever did with my children is during that summer while I was in the thick of, um, of, the, of the research and the writing, I took my kids, we flew into 
Knoxville and went to Pigeon Forge and we stayed at the Dream More Resort. And uh, we were there for about a week and they were the, it was the perfect age for my children where they could go to an amusement park and really, really enjoy it and be into it. And they had never, we had never done anything like that before. And there's not really amusement parks in New York City, but it was also so, you know, there's no alcohol served there. No, It's very family friendly and it's, and it's contained, right? It's not like Disney World where it's huge, right? Like there's a, like you can look at a map and a child who is eight years old and a 10 year old can navigate it um, without getting lost and without, and me knowing that they were going to be safe, which I would not feel. So, so basically I was, I was able to get them these passes to go on all the rides and, and let them run free for an hour at a time. And then we would check in every, you know, every hour or so. And then, and for them, it was so much fun to be able to be, have that independence it was the first time I kind of gave them that level of independence and also to just go run around and go on all of the rides and the roller coasters. And, um, you know, I hadn't been on a roller coaster and I don't know how long. And let me tell you, I did that. I went on the Tennessee tornado, and, which is like the fastest roller coaster, you know, wooden roller coaster. And, then we went on one where we uh, we went upside down. And because when I was a kid, I loved roller coasters. But I remember coming off of that and being feeling very wobbly and like walking. I was like, kids, I think I just scrambled my brains permanently. Like, I don't think I could ever do that again. Like, they're like, we want to go on it again. I'm like, go for it. But I, it. I, I'm too old for roller coasters now, which was sort of a sad, a, a rude awakening. Um, but while they would go run around, we I would go to the Chasing Rainbows Museum. Beautiful, yeah, yeah. Which is so incredible. And I just I would I spent hours, like I would, I would, I would go in there every day for a week and I just wa- looked at everything and I took pictures. I mean, it has all of her awards, but it has the original coat of many colors that her mother made. It has um, you know, it tells this, you, you go through and it tells the story of her life and it tells the story of her career and all of her costumes are in there. I mean, it's just, it's just an incredible museum. Like I, I was like, I, I don't think I'd ever get tired of going in there. And my children weren't as interested in going there, but we had so much fun doing other things like doing all of the shows you know, oh, that are yeah. in Bollywood um, you know, where her family members are singers and, you know, so we, so we got to go see the shows and eat all of the food and eat the chicken and dumplings. And, um, and, you know, she's a huge, um, she, she does all of this work with, with bald eagles and she oh, saved, crazy. you know, that in, in the mountain, in the Smoky Mountains, the, um, the bald eagles were dying off and they were going to be extinct. And she really did all of this funding and worked with these organizations to bring the bald eagle back to the Smoky Mountains. So there's a show there where the um, there's a bald eagle and they fly over your heads in the audience. And it's just, it was just amazing. You know, it was just really 
you know, there, there, there's all of the artisans that do the glass blowing and the iron work. It's just, it was just a really fun experience, but it also really gave me, um, we had a great time as a family, but I learned so much more. And it, and it brought me back to that childhood in Cincinnati where those were the sorts of things that we used to do growing up. And it reminded me. Um, so it was just, and I felt, I was just so happy to be able to bring my children to a place that had been, had meant something to me as a child that, you know, so, so I did, I did a lot of work there. And then I also went down to South Carolina to the beach and sat on the front porch and did a lot of writing there because it's very peaceful and I can be outside where the birds are chirping and, um, there's no, dis- the distractions of New York are not there. So I did a lot of writing in, in um, you know, down there too. When you were writing the book, was Dolly aware of the book or was it a project just for you and it was something you kept to yourself until it was released? It was, it was really just my project and my agent, who's a literary agent, knows her manager in Nashville because he does a lot of work in Nashville and... Um, so he had told him about it, but I think, um, you know, I, and when the book came out, I, like I went, I, I have, there's these great illustrations. I hired this beautiful illustrator to do these nice portraits of Dolly in various. And they're fantastic, aren't they? They're scenarios, like, which yeah. I just love. And so I, you know, we've got like Dolly, you know, so, so there, and you know, it's fun like these. So, so, um, I sent, I, I took one of these pieces of art, the St. Dolly, Dolly with the candles. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I created stationery out of it. That one. Yeah. Right? I love that. <laughs> I love that. It's love great. It. So I took that and I created stationery and I said, you know, um, figure out who you are and do it on purpose. And I wrote her a handwritten note and sent it to her and I know that she's seen it and I know that she likes it. I know that her manager likes it. Um, But, you know, I also realized, which is something I learned in the Chasing Rainbows Museum, is that uh, Dolly fans do artwork and projects and send her things all of the time. So I am not unique in that. (laughs) Yeah, this is my labor of love. But I think that she's probably getting, I mean, she has people painting portraits of her and sending them to her. She has a 10,000 square foot warehouse on her estate full of fan art. So I'm thinking, okay, I, you know, this is like my year, like it, this book means so much to me. Um, and I'm glad that she's happy with it, but it's probably sitting in that warehouse along with all of the other art. <laughs> <laughs> oh. so I'm humble enough to know that I'm, you know, I'm just happy she likes it. I don't expect anything other than that. So, but I, but you know, it's drawing on all of her, these interviews. So I got, I feel like I got her voice in there and there's a yeah. lot of, the, I put all these Dollyisms in the book, um, you know, all of these great wise words of wisdom and sayings that she had, you know, I sort of collected those different things that she said over the course of the years. This show is sponsored by Sarah Jane's Dolly Parton Experience, the world's largest Dolly Parton tribute stage show. 
The only Dolly Parton tribute to work on two world tours at the O2 Arena on Dolly's tour. And thanked by Dolly Parton in front of over three and a half million people on British TV. So obviously, Lauren, your book's sold around the world, so she's got a huge global audience, as do you. What do you think it is that makes her so special into why people want to know more and more about the great yes. lady? I mean, she, she's, uh, she's such a positive person. She's just, I, I think the part of the reason people love her so much is because she's, like, you never hear anything negative coming out of her. I mean, the songs, you listen to some of those earlier songs that she wrote, and they are very dark. You know, there's some dark music in there, but she she takes any darkness that she sees and she turns it into a piece of art with mu- through music. And in her person, she's just resilient and tough and brilliant and beautiful and obviously super intelligent and... Um, like somehow down to earth, but she's always positive, right? She just, she's always trying to make the world a better place. And she started doing that as an artist, as a songwriter, because I don't, you know, I think, I mean, we're all Dolly fans, so we know what an amazing songwriter she is, but I, a lot of the world doesn't know that, you know, a lot of the world still thinks that Whitney Houston wrote, I will always love you, which kind of, you know, people who don't know. And, and um, you know, she expresses her feelings and pain through her music, um, but then it has, a po- it has a positive impact. But, you know, all of the philanthropy that she has done, um, you know, bet- with the fires in Gatlinburg, Absolutely, where yeah. she gave everybody $1,000 a month for six months to get them back on their feet, um, but but the Imagination Library, and I know you you all work with the Imagination yeah. Library. You know, as a book person, yeah. um, to me that is the most that's the most important thing in the world is to get people to read because it's through reading that they become inspired, that they can see themselves doing something that maybe they didn't think they could do, and that's you know like that's why in the book. I open the chat, you know, I open it with put wings on your dreams because she was always a dreamer and she took those dreams and she turned them into reality. And then as she, as she accomplished those dreams, she came up with bigger dreams. And in a way, writing this book was fulfilling my childhood dream of being a writer. And, um, you know, it, so it, it like it all, she's so positive and inspiring. Um, I think it resonates across all sorts of ideologies, Absolutely. you know, rich, poor, black, white, gay, straight, blue, red, you know, it doesn't matter. Everyone can find something in her, in her example to feel inspired by. Absolutely, so yeah. I'm certainly not the only one, God knows. And, <laughs> um, and, you know, I think as she gets older, the world starts to, is starting to see that more and more, you know, I think there's like, like the world is catching up with all of the work that she has done. Um, just a quick aside or not even an aside, but I, I'll say again, as a writer, learning about her creative process 
was really inspiring to me too, because you, I think that people who don't write or like like a, a good writer makes writing look easy. You know, you read the book or you listen to the song and you think, oh yeah, that's how hard could that be? <laughs> but sitting down and trying to make sense and get your words on the page is really difficult. And it yeah. requires a lot of discipline. It's not just the inspiration, it's the discipline. And um, to hear how, you know, and, and I, so I think she's always been underestimated, right? People look at her, they look at her appearance. Yeah, they look at the outside. They look at the outside, but they don't realize the heart and the discipline and the creativity inside that it takes to be her and to and to accomplish all that she has as a creative person. And the, um, you know, she wakes up at four or five in the morning every day um, and she has what she, you know, her wee hours time, you know, while the rest of the world is asleep, she takes out her notebooks and she jots down ideas and she gets her mind exercise, you know, like she exercises her uh, and organizes her brain and thinks about what she needs to accomplish. And she puts her dreams down on paper, which is a form of visualization, right? It's a form of creative visualization. Um, and she also does some songwriting and she, you know, she does what all writers do, which is she carries notebooks and pens and pencils with her everywhere she goes. So that when an idea comes into her head, you know, those ideas can be fleeting. They pop in, she writes it down and, um, you'll find like writers and song. That's what they do. They, they, you have to get it before the idea escapes from your brain or even in the middle of the night. Sometimes if you have an idea, like with the, when Dolly came to me, <laughs> I ha- I wrote it down. I woke up at three in the morning and I wrote it down. I think I even put it in my phone because there wasn't paper there. I just typed it in. What would Dolly do? So that the next day or two, you know, I wouldn't forget because sometimes you forget the, you know, you forget your ideas or you forget your dreams. Um, and when you put it down on paper, it's, it becomes concrete. And then you have something to start with. So so hearing about her creative process was really inspiring to me as well. And I said, ah, because I do that too. And you, But you think you're the only one that does it or you don't know where it came from. Um, yeah. But that's how people do it. They put it down. They visualize it. So your passion for Dolly has is, is extended over many years with listening to her at the beginning at the State Fair and, of course, with your research in the book and listening to Dolly and reading about Dolly. So, Lauren, this is a burning question. What is your favourite Dolly Parton song? Oh, God. You know, I, there really isn't one. There's, I mean, I could just listen to her all day. Uh, there's there's so many. And, you know, I mean, there, and, and different ones are from different parts of my life, right? I mean, um, like... You know, why'd you come in here looking like that is a very specific period of time. You know, so it's like different songs have different memories. Um, I mean, of course, I could could listen to Little Sparrow over and over and over again. Um, You know, Love is Like a Butterfly is such a stunning song. You know, I I really, I mean, I love her, her popular music. That's really fun, but it's those those kind of love songs that are soft and ethereal because she, you know, that I really, that, that really um, get me emotionally because she's, she just, her voice is so different and distinctive from 
anything else. And it has that, like that, it's not even a twang. It's like it catches. Like there's, there's just something about it that just makes you open your heart up. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I'll go into a, I'll go into a, a bar, let's say, and I'll put on the, I'll go on the jukebox and I'll say, let's just play Dolly Parton all night. And, you know, of course everyone always loves Jolene, but, um, um, I, I, I will always love you has never been one of my favorites. I'm not sure why, but I, cause I think I like the more, I don't know, maybe some of the older stuff like Applejack, um, you know, one of the one of the great things about Dollywood and and the Dreamore Resort is that you walk around and it's Dolly Parton is piped in, so you just you know I had my kids like came back to New York after that trip singing Applejack like <laughs> singing all Dolly and Love is like a butterfly <laughs> like we all were singing it all the time so uh, so they must have enjoyed singing that but come on do the children still listen to Dolly Parton or do they tend to stay away with their own music nowadays. No, no, no. They don't stay away. I mean, I think, you know, my son is now 15. So he's like in that point where he's got his headphones on. (laughs) And I don't even think I want to know what he's listening to. But it's like you get them young. You get it in their head when they're young. And then it'll come back to them at some point after they go through. They're teenagers now. So I can't. (laughs) They love Dolly. Absolutely. They love her. You know. So, Lauren, you've got a dinner date with Dolly Parton. Lucky you. Uh, you've got a table for four, so you can add two more people into it. Uh, I want to know who those two people are. They can be living or past. And also, what wonderful food will you cook up for them? I'd be a, I, All right. So I would have her and Carl Dean, her husband, because I want to know her. I want to get to know her husband because he's so yeah. mysterious <laughs> and he's so handsome, too. I just want a really good looking man at my table. <laughs> Um, um, and I would have Barry Gibb. Oh, um, nice choice. Yeah. Because I love Barry Gibb and they just did that. Um, fantastic duet. Did words, which again, that brought me back too, because I also loved the Bee Gees growing up and that song words is just a heartbreaker. And when you put Dolly Parton's voice on it, I mean, you just melt. You know, it's just so moving. So I would want Barry because then I would want to make them sing words to me. <laughs> uh, and then I would probably bring an author, like a famous writer, because she's a huge reader. So um, uh, I would try to find out one of her favorite writers and bring them Although, you know, Reese Witherspoon would be a really good person to bring to because I know that they're friends and they're both huge readers. So that would be kind of fun. It would be more like I would like to be a fly on the wall. I want Barry Gibb and Dolly to sing. I want to get to know Carl Dean and to see Reese and and Dolly together would be just a a chance of a lifetime. And I would make her um, poke salad and chicken and dumplings, you know, and then some Dolly bars for dessert. I would make her favorite foods. The ones, cause I put those recipes in the book so I know that I can do those, but I don't, I'm sure I'm not as good of a cook as she is. Ah, but Lauren, you have got all the recipes in your book. Oh yeah, no, I made them for the, for, cause I didn't want to put the recipes in the book if I didn't know how to, if I hadn't made them myself. And 
I'm just not very good with dumplings. Dumplings are hard. But the Dolly bars are delicious. Oh, lovely. (laughs) Well, I'll have to don my chef's hat and uh, have a go at that myself because they do sound amazing. Now, Lauren, we need to talk about where we can get What Would Dolly Do? The book by Lauren Marino. Uh, Over here in the UK, it's available on Amazon.co.uk and all good bookstores. Can you let everybody else know where it's available from? Yes, I mean, it's available. It's still, it's out there wherever books are sold um, at Amazon. In the United States, I know it's at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Uh, bookshop.org is the independent bookseller website that just got started during the pandemic. So if if you go on bookshop.org and order it, they will find a local bookseller to give them the business to keep them going. So that so, so that idea. works. Um, a lot of gift shops have it. Lots of gift shops have it. Brilliant. Um, and my website is laurenmarinobooks.com. Uh-huh. So laurenmarinobooks.com, there are links there that you can go to also to order it. We'll put that on the website. Not a problem, Lauren. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. Thanks for taking the time out of your busy day. Uh, hopefully you'll be back on again. Oh, this is great. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much. For oh, no problem. I'll speak to you soon. Loved what you've heard on this week's episode? Well, well the answer is simple. It would mean the world to us if you could head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review and feedback. Spreading the word really is the best way to grow our podcast and achieve even greater things. Thank you. you. We're available at the App Store and on Google Play. Dolly Fan TV.